about two weeks ago, I also went through my own graduation ceremony. You may wonder how an old man like me would have a graduation ceremony. I flew back to the U.S. for six days to walk for my doctorate degree. Now, many of you asked, especially in this church, wondering when did Pastor Stephen have the time to work on his doctorate amidst his busy schedule? It's a great question. Let me answer that this morning. I actually didn't have time. I had done a lot of the coursework in the U.S., uh, just needing a dissertation to complete my doctorate. I had planned to come back to the Philippines to serve here and would use my free time to write that dissertation. But with the ministry commitments at the school and at the church, uh, a fast-growing church, uh, teaching responsibilities, year after year went by, and I never was able to work on it. In the academic circles, I was known as ABD, all but dissertation. Anyway, I figured I didn't need a title to effectively do what God had called me to do. I have never been much of a title person. But then uh, last year in September, I received a letter from my school basically saying if I did not finish it in December, I would be kicked out of the program. No matter to me, uh, I had learned what I needed to learn. And titles were not important to me. But somehow my father found out about this letter and this situation. Uh, and he wrote me an email from the U.S. Now, mind you, I'm almost 40, an adult, the father. Uh, and uh, you would think that I would not be swayed by the convincing power of my own father. But he wrote something in his email that really resonated in my heart. And let me read for you a very short excerpt from what he wrote to me. My father wrote to me, he said, Stephen, in God's ministry, what really counts is not how we started, but how we finish. Lord willing, I would like to see you finish your degree program. I hate to admit it, but he was right. And I emailed back to him, but dad, this is the busiest time of the year for me. Last year between October to December with lots of speaking and teaching engagements. And I'd already resolved long ago that I would not let any of this affect my work and ministry. His reply to me, three short words, just do it. Doesn't matter how old you are, your father will always be your father. And there's a sense of trembling and fear when he says words like that. And so in 13 weeks, I locked myself in a room and worked on writing my dissertation from 6 a.m. in the morning to 9 a.m., went to work, put my kids to sleep, and went back into that room from 9 p.m. to midnight, writing six hours a day on my dissertation talk about last-minute cramming, after 500 hours and more of working on it, finished a 150-page dissertation, successfully defended it in January, and so I graduated in May. And yes, there is another Dr. Tan, but if you call me that, and if I don't respond, don't be offended, because I am thinking you're referring to my uncle or my father. But you know, those words ring true in my mind. In God's ministry, in God's work, what really counts is not how we started, but how we finish. And so it is my prayer, both graduates and not this morning, 
that we would all finish well. But you may ask the question, how does one finish well? Let me share with you a secret this morning for finishing well. Learn to believe in God's promises. One of the secrets of finishing well in the walk we call life is to learn to believe in God's promises. Now you may ask, what does learning to believe in a promise have anything to do with finishing well? That's what we will take a look at this morning as we continue our sermon series entitled, Alone But Not Alone, Learning to See the Handprints of God. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn with me to the book of 1 Kings, chapter 17. As we take a look at verses 7 to 16 this morning, continuing our study in the life of Elijah here in our church. 1 Kings, chapter 17, verse 7 to 16. If you're new to the Bible this morning, the book of 1 Kings is in the Old Testament, after 2 Samuel, and of course, before 2 Kings. 1 Kings, chapter 17. Verse 7 reads this. And it happened after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. When last we left Elijah, as we discussed about his life two weeks ago, Elijah was by the brook Cherith where God had provided a place of protection by the stream and daily provision by the ravens. If you remember, Elijah was a hunted man by the ruthless king Ahab. Because Elijah had pronounced judgment from God that there would be no more rain in the land because of the nation's worship of the false god Baal. Well, because there was no longer any more rain and was drought condition, the brook naturally finally dried up. And so Elijah had to go find another place to be cared for. And look at the instructions of God in verse 8 and verse 9 of 1 Kings chapter 17. Arise, go to Zarephtah. The word of the Lord came to him, saying, Which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I have commanded, note this, a widow there to provide for you. So God says, Elijah, go to Zarephtah, where I will use a widow to take care of your needs. Now, what should come into your mind, and I'm sure what came to the mind of Elijah, was how in the world is a widow supposed to take care of me? You see, in the ancient Near East, widows were poor. And if there had been a long drought, they, the destitute, the widows, the orphans, would be the first to be affected, as we will see they were later. You see, widows are usually taken care of by others. They usually do not take care of others. But God had instructed Elijah to go, and as a prophet of God, he went. Look what happens in verse 10. So he arose and went to Zarephtha, and when he came to the gate of the city, indeed, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Please bring me a little water in a cup that I may drink. I'm sure there were many widows in Zarephtha, and so to make sure that Elijah found the right widow that God had intended to take care of him, he asked one that he saw was gathering sticks for a cup of water. And that was very common at the time in the ancient Near East for a stranger to ask for a cup of water and for a stranger to provide for it, as was Near East hospitality. 
The water would have come from a common well, and so it was shared water anyway. But then, look at verse 11. Elijah asks for something else. And as she was going to get the water, he called to her and said, Please, bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. Elijah says, Oh, while you're at it, can you please give me some bread? He's really pushing his luck. But he wanted to make sure that the right woman was identified. Look at verse 12. So she said, As the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin and a little oil in a jar. And see, I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. From the reply of this woman in verse 12, we find out a few things. We find out that this woman is a believer in the one true God, Yahweh. She was living in the land of the Phoenicians, which was the center of Baal worship, and yet she believed in the one true God, and she believed that he was alive. But he could, she could not give her last piece of bread to this prophet of the living God, Yahweh. Why? Verse 12. Because she only had enough flour and oil for one more meal. And this last piece of bread was for her and her son to eat. And then they would have nothing else to eat. They would die. And she was there because she was gathering sticks. So that she could start that fire to prepare her last meal. And then both of them would die. Imagine how sad and desperate and desolate this woman must be. There was no one to help her. That she was so destitute that she only had enough for one last meal. And she knew what would happen when she ate this final piece of bread. Her and her son would die. This woman has nothing except one last piece of bread. Now let me ask you this. Put yourself in the shoe of this widow. If you find yourself in a very similar condition... You have in your hands one last piece of bread that will sustain your life. Would you give it to a stranger who asks for it? I bet I know the answer for all of us. Absolutely not. You won't even share your snack during the school day with a friend. You won't even share a piece of paper with someone who did not bring their notebook at chapel. How in the world will you share your last meal, the last sustaining meal for you to live? If someone were to ask for you the most precious thing you possess, would you share it with them? Now you say, well, pastor, hang on there. Stop being so dramatic. We'll never be put into this position. But mind you, all of us, young and old, graduates and not, that this request is asked of all of us. Because it is the very thing that the Lord Jesus asks us. He asks for the thing we hold on dearest. He asks us for which 
we think we cannot part with, He asks for our lives. Give me your life, He says in discipleship. Live your life for me, the one who died for you. And you know, the response we give to Him is the same response we give, the woman gave to Elijah, Lord, I cannot Lord, I know you live. That's what she says. I know that the God Yahweh lives. And we come to church on Sundays. We acknowledge in our minds that God is very much alive. But God, you can't have my life. Because I'm just going to live my life as I see it. And you know what? I'm going to live it the way I want. And then I'm going to die. As our heart goes out in compassion... To this woman's situation I think God looks upon our lives with sadness as well because so many of us live this life to simply draw it out and then die that's the truth after junior graduation comes senior graduation after senior graduation comes college graduation after college graduation you get a job and you're waiting for retirement after retirement you sit at home waiting to die so many people live their life without purpose they live like that because they cannot give up what they hold so strongly to And so we have the same perspective as this widow. I'm going to eat my last meal. How it comes, I don't know. But that's what I'm living my life for. And then I will pass. After explaining her position, Elijah then offers her a promise. Look at verse 13 to 14. And Elijah says to the widow, Do not fear. Go and do as you have said. But make a small cake from it first and bring it to me. And afterward, make some for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, The bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day of the Lord sends rain on the earth. Elijah says to this woman, Don't worry. Go, go make that one last piece of bread, that last cake, and then would you bring it to me? And if you bring it to me, here's a promise. If you give me your last piece of bread, the promise from God is that you will never run out of flour and oil to make bread for yourself, and you and your son will never run out of food until the drought is over. Put yourself in her situation. Would you believe in this promise? Let me put it in your context. Someone approaches you, you don't know this person, and says to you, can I have all of your money? All of it. And if you give me all of your money, I promise you, God will give you more. In fact, God will give you money every day. Would you believe this promise? Would you take this offer? Of course not. One would have to be crazy to believe this promise. 
And why is it we don't so readily believe? Because we've been told in our culture, be careful. Everyone is out to get you. Don't trust anyone. And you yourself have been burned so many times. I wonder how many promises you have been offered. But those promises have been broken. You see, we live in a world of promises. A world in which we are bombarded with sheer guarantees. A promise that if you wear a certain type of watch, you will get the most beautiful woman out there. That if you wear a particular perfume, then all the men will swoon at your feet. That if you use this health product, you will live forever and never get sick. That if you sell this certain product, that you will be driving soon around in a Benz or a BMW and live in an amazing house. However, those guarantees do not always deliver what they promise. We've had too many promises broken that we no longer believe in promises and we don't take them at face value. And so we say, okay, okay, if you want us to believe in your promise, write it down. Put it in black and white in a contract, because we don't believe you, and we're going to have it notarized. Or as the banks would say, make sure there's a collateral. Yeah, 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 you come to my office, you tell me you'll pay me back, I know, but you better give me something of value so I can hold on to it, just to be sure. Or like recently when... I was engaged and talking with my daughter, and I had told her to the effect of something that daddy promises to do something. You know what she told me? Instead of saying, okay, daddy, I believe you, he said, daddy, can we pinky swear on it? Pinky swear, you know where you have to lock pinkies to make sure that is a valid promise? What happened to just simply trusting daddy? This is a culture and a world that has made promises so hard to believe. But like this woman, in the Christian life, God asks us to believe in a promise. You know what he says to all of us? He says, give me your most prized possession. Give me your very life. Give it to me, and I will give you more of it. Give me your very life and I will give you a better life. The very words of Jesus in John chapter 10, verse 10. You know the verse. I have come that you may have life and that you may have it more, what? Abundantly. And so he asks us to yield and surrender to his lordship. Because he says, I will exchange for you your life for something more fulfilling and satisfying, an abundant life. And it sounds like a great deal from the Lord Jesus himself. And you know what? Very few takers. Very few takers. The very same Jesus who promised to go to the cross to die for us, and he did that. When we believe that, is the very same Jesus who promised us an amazing life if we learn to give up control of our life for him. How come we can't believe that part? How is it that we can believe in one but not the other? I want you to think about that. We can believe him for our salvation and eternal life, but when he says, submit to the lordship of my rule in your life, we say, no, God, I don't think you're going to promise 
You're going to deliver on your promises. How come we no longer trust in the promises of God, even if it comes from Him? No wonder we don't see God at work in our life. No wonder we don't see His handprint. No wonder our lives are aimless and they are lived without purpose. No wonder so many people do not finish well because they don't believe in God's promises. And so they're living their life looking at their present realities and saying, you know what, if this is all that life affords itself, then I'm going to make sure that life is all about me. Me, me, me. I want my comfort, my joy, my everything. Because what's the point of living with purpose if I'm going to eat my last meal and I'm going to die? When one does not believe in God's promises, they begin to get jaded. They begin to fade in their life. Milestones in life are no longer opportunities to celebrate. Milestones are simply a marker that tell you you're getting older and that you're one step closer to death. And that is the sad realities of a life when one does not believe in God's promises. When I got my doctorate, one of my friends commented to me, Steve, congratulations. Seems like all of you tans in your family have a doctorate title. And without thinking, I blurted out these words. Oh, my mom doesn't have one. And then I regretted what I said. I sat in the car, very disturbed at that response thought about my mother and I thought that, you know, she doesn't have a doctorate, but she has a better title. As I thought about her life, she has the title of one who is a woman of faith. So bothered was I by that response flippantly. I called uh, that friend and I said, I'm sorry, let me correct myself. My mother may not have a doctorate, but she has a better title. She's a woman of faith. And I thought about her, and I thought about the life she lived, and, and that's so true. She believes in the promises of God, and that's why she's able to live such a joyful life amidst great hardship, starting with when she lost her mother at the age of five, and then marrying a poor pastor, and spending 20 years helping my dad sell his books, packing boxes in the garage, carrying them to the post office so that we could have money to raise, so she could have money to raise the family. I would often comment when I hold her hands, Mom, your hands have so many veins. They're so wrinkled. She says, these are the hands of one who has worked hard. But there's always been joy in her life because she believed in the many promises of God. How do I know that? Because she reminds her children of it. She has reminded me hundreds of times as I've told her, life is not fair. She says, Stephen, life is not fair. But God's promises hold true. I've been angry and I've told her I'm angry at this person. And she's reminded that God's promise of justice will come. I've told her in my frustration, Lord, Mom, I'm just tired. She says, 
remember God's promise of rest. She carries with her title, Woman of Faith, that I realize that is true because she has learned to believe in God's promises and so she can find joy in this life amidst a hard life. My friends, this morning, can you learn to believe in God's promises so that you can end this life well? Let's see the widow's decision in verse 15. So she went away and did according to the word of Elijah. I'm sure she wrestled with this decision for a bit, as all of us naturally would. But I don't think she wrestled with this decision too much. Because if one can still believe in the living God, Yahweh, in the center of living in a pagan land, and in spite of her present condition as a widow in this drought condition, with just one last meal left and still not get angry with God, then I think she could learn easily to trust the promises of God. And that's what she did. She went to go make that last piece of bread, and she gave it to Elijah. It is important to learn the lessons of trusting in God's promises because oftentimes it is in a promise that God's handprint of faithfulness is seen. Just as we talked about two weeks ago, as God's handprint of protection was seen in the brook and God's handprint of provision was seen in a raven, God's handprint of faithfulness is seen in a promise. Look what happens, verse 15 and 16. And she and he and her household ate for many days. The bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry. Note this, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Elijah. The oil and the flour were never used up and was able to sustain the life of this widow and her son. God's handprint of faithfulness is seen in his promises. When you no longer believe in God's promises, you will no longer see his handprint of faithfulness. For this woman, God's handprint of faithfulness was seen in the promise that there was always enough oil and flour every day. You know, we spend a lot of time wondering if we can believe, truly believe in God's promises because we've forgotten to remember the one making the promises. The one making the promises is the one who created the entire world in just six days. The one who's making these promises is the one who's able to create something out of nothing. The one who gives these promises is the one who is eternal and knows the future and loves doing the impossible. The one who has made these promises is the God who is omnipotent and sovereign. The one who makes these promises is the one who always keeps his word. My friends, the fact that you are here this morning safely, healthy, breathing, graduating, working, is a handprint of faithfulness in your life. If you only look through the lenses of his handprint. If God 
was not faithful to keep his promises to protect you, to provide for you, as he does throughout the scriptures, then you and I would not be here this morning. Do you ever think about that? If God did not keep his promises, and if he was not faithful, this school would have closed down a long time ago, this church would have closed down a long time ago, and you would not be here. But God has been faithful. That is why you are here this morning. Many of you, I believe, already know, but some of you may not know why I was limping up to the stage. But last week, uh, last Sunday, I tore my MCL knee ligament uh, because I slipped on a wet spot by the kindergarten house. And I'm in a brace uh, for six weeks. I know some of you have come to see if I was going to wear shorts this morning. Uh, I really wanted to, but... This morning happened to be baccalaureate Sunday, so maybe next week. I'm just conforming to the school rules. Now, I know that a lot of you have already seen the video I posted on Facebook. I wonder how 6,000 people have all that free time just to watch someone fall. And I know some of you watched it multiple times. I know that. Not in pity, but somehow in guilty pleasure. I don't know. But you know, as I was thinking about it this week, what a freak accident to slip on a wet spot. You know, I, I could have had two very different perspectives about all of this. One, I could have gotten very angry at God. God, I, I'm serving you as a pastor. Why did you allow me, of all the places, to step on that wet spot where the guard had his mop? Of all places to step on, you allowed me to step and fall. Now I've got to be in this knee brace in this hot weather for six weeks. Or I can say, God, why did you allow me to grab the wrong key? You know, if I had gotten the right key and didn't have to return, I wouldn't have slipped. I could have been very angry at God. You said you would protect me. You promised you would protect me. Where's the protection? I'm simply going out to get some food and look what happens. But then, in preparing for the sermon, I realized that in, even in that incident, God's handprint of faithfulness and promise was still there. Because I could also realize, you know what, God, thank you. That out of the four knee ligaments we have, the one I tore, the MCL, is the only one that can heal without surgery. And I could say, Lord, thank you for your handprint of faithfulness even in that time. You did not break any of your promises because I did not break any bones, especially with my heavy body set. Or God, thank you for your hand of provision that even in this freak accident of a fall, I didn't hit my head in an awkward position and paralyzed myself as so many people it could have happened to. You see, when we begin to trust in the promises of God, we see that His faithfulness endures forever. His promises are always there. He has never reneged on any of them. How you trust in the promises of God will affect your life and how you live it. And it will determine whether you finish well or finish sadly. 
I remember the story of the missionary to Burma, Adoniram Judson. Judson was in a dirty jail in Burma for many years. And in that situation with 32 pounds of chains on his ankles, his feet bound to a bamboo pole, a fellow prisoner mocked him, sarcastically said, Dr. Judson, what now about the prospect of you bringing Christ to the Burmese people? Judson's instant reply, and I love this, he said, Dear sir, the prospect of me bringing Christ to the Burmese people is just as bright as the promises of God. The prospects are just as bright as the promises of God. Isn't that great? Faith in God's promises make great optimists. And that's how you know you will finish well. If you can get to that point in any time in your life, and I hope as a junior graduate, to the senior elder, that you will come to that point in your life when you will wholeheartedly believe in the promises of God and take it at face value. If not, you will worry all throughout your life until your very last meal, and then you will die. Let me close with this illustration. Perhaps it will put this concept all together. There was a traveler. He came to a mighty river. And he discovered that this mighty river had no bridge. And fortunately, it was winter, and the great river had sheeted over with ice. But the traveler was afraid, not knowing how thick the ice was. And so with infinite caution, he got down on all fours, and he crept on his hand and on his knee. Slowly, hours it took him just to get to the halfway point of this river, never sure with each step, whether the ice would break. And then when he got to the middle of the river, he heard singing from behind. Cautiously, he, he turned around, and out of the dark came another traveler driving a fully loaded truck. Windows down, radio blaring, singing. Driving by, passing along him, singing as he went. This is the picture of one who has foundationed his heart in trusting in a God who will not fail him. But many of us, unfortunately, are like that man who's crawling cautiously, never sure, worrying when the ice will break. Both will get across. One will do so with great worry. One will do so with joy. And so that's why I cling to the promises of God. They are the handprints of Him in my life, a reminder of His faithfulness. Because I know if He has allowed me to start well, He will see for me to finish well. And that is my prayer for all of you. That you will start well, but more importantly, you will finish well. Remember what he says in Revelations 21, verse 6, as he closes the scriptures. I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the beginning and the end. My friends, this morning, especially our graduates, can you believe at face value the promises of God? Learn to believe in his promises.
and finish well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, this morning we thank you for your word. That from the reminder of a woman to whom you provided oil and flour, we are reminded that you have been faithful in our life from the day of our birth to even today. May all of us this morning come to the realization that we can hold and cling on to the promises of God and every day see your handprint of faithfulness in our life. I pray a special blessing for these graduates this morning. I pray that you would honor them. That as they move from this junior high school to a senior high school, that they would not be jaded in their life, that they would live lives of purpose, giving their lives to you, their most prized possession, and receiving in return a life full of abundance. That is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.